Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Hi, everyone. I'm Joanna, and this is Hyphenated, the podcast about living in the hyphen. I'm really pumped today because I have a very special guest. Jenny isn't here, but I have a new friend, Jimena Sariñana. She started her career when she was just a kid. Uh, she was in movies and telenovelas, including the iconic Luz Clarita. I can't, I can't sing it, I'm singing it. Since then, she's become an incredibly prolific singer-songwriter with five albums, Grammy nominations. And I'm honestly just can't wait for her to become my friend over the course of this interview. Jimena, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Joanna. That's a very nice um, intro. <laughs> so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real with you. I have a um a writing playlist on Spotify, mm -hmm. and you're all over it. Like I literally <laughs> get get the N. I I have there's only like six songs in rotations at a time when I'm writing, and get the N is one of them. And I so I feel like I'm meeting someone that's been part of my day to day life. So uh, I'm I'm a little starstruck. I have to be honest. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's the beauty about music that it kind of like lives um, away from yourself. Like once the song is out, it kind of like becomes a part of the, I guess, you know, cultural reality. And it's not, you know, it, it stops being a song about you. And, you know, right. every person that listens to the song or that has a relationship to the song, they kind of give it their own meaning. And uh, it's just really interesting. But yeah, I totally know the feeling. Um, I was reading an interview about Bjork this morning and um, and like reading like her, I don't know, just, you know, her interview or like her answers. Um, it feels like I've known her and like I've grown with mm -hmm. her while I've been listening to all of her albums. Um, so, yeah, it's like a very strange feeling. Of course, I've never met Bjork. Of course, you know. I have no idea what she's like. Well, we can we can pretend that she's here right now. I love her voice. Exactly. <laughs> I love her voice too. But you know, yeah, that's the that's the thing about music that you kind of feel an intimate connection to the person that is singing the song, even though you've probably mm -hmm. you know you come from very different backgrounds and different worlds. Yeah, there's something really guttural about music. Like, I, I'm a comedian and it's kind of difficult to separate the comedian from their work because it comes from their voice. Like, okay, maybe someone can Im imitate a bit or whatever, but it yeah. it's very inextricably linked to the person. And music, mm -hmm. it, I love what you're saying because music has this other element. It, it becomes whatever the person 
interprets it as, like poetry. Yeah. And it's very guttural. It hits differently. Like with comedy, it's like, you know, it's you intellectualize a lot of things about it. You have to understand a lot of groundwork for, you know, a satire to make sense. And then there's music. And like, I love music. I don't know the first thing about the rules of music, but music makes me cry and music makes me laugh and music makes me feel things. I can't explain to you why, but I do. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I find what you said really interesting about people taking your, your work and having it sort of, it's no longer yours. It, it, it's a, it becomes a piece of everyone that listens to it. And you started your career really young. And you started in, in I'm not going to sing it this time, and you started in Luz Clarita. And, you know, as a kid being perceived uh, as, you know, this villain in this telenovela, it must have been a really difficult thing for you to take ownership of like who you are again? Well, you know, I'm not sure I had such a conscience of what was really going on with Luz Clarita. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we've got to remember that this is way before the internet, way before right. um, social media. So um, if you weren't a kid, you know, that watched a lot of TV or news or which, you know, obviously I wasn't, um, I wasn't, you know, watching news about um, soap operas or whatever. Um, it was all kind of just a strange like rumor that I would hear now and then of like, oh, you know, Luz Clarita, the song, you know, they they play it in, you know, in stadiums in Brazil before, you know, a soccer match. Oh my God, I didn't know this. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Like when they told me, it was like, "What, really?" Like now that I that I've that I've you know that I'm a little bit more conscious of what of the the huge impact that uh, telenovelas had on you know on culture in different countries. Like mm -hmm. I I kind of understand like how huge um, and famous me and Daniela were <laughs> was you know mm -hmm. Luz Clarita. Mm -hmm. Um, but growing up, um, you know, I was 10 years old, you know, I went to um, a pretty normal school uh, with, you know, other kids who probably didn't watch telenovelas. Um, so it was kind of like, just a pretty normal upbringing. And it, I think it really helped that both my parents, they were in the industry. So they knew really well what the implications of that were. And they always were like, you know, the only thing that you need to do is study and go to school. Like, this is a oh, hobby. Right. And, you know, if you want to continue doing it, you have to, you know, get good grades. And, and you know, and, and you know, we're not going to stop our lives. Um, like, I would see a lot of uh, people or a lot of kids and, you know, that started acting really young, you know, that their whole family started um, revolving around that kid's income or whatever uh, my parents were like you know that's that's never gonna happen it's like we you have we have two more kids other than you that you know <laughs> also have their own dreams and also have their own things that they want to do and you know this is a hobby it's not your your job mm -hmm. so I think that really helped in order for me to grow up grounded and and you know kind of like I had just like a normal sense um, of being a kid, you know? So I think that was that was really positive. Oh my God, I can't, I that's amazing because how you sort of came out of it, it for Americans, I feel like it's difficult to really 
um, express the importance of the telenovela culturally. But, you know, they understand the concept of, you know, Ryan Gosling and Christina Aguilera and Justin Timberlake, they began as child actors and then sort of went into stardom. Yeah. For for an American, like, to think that a telenovela that does the same thing, can do the same thing for its for its actors and its its child actors is something that like blows her mind, I think. Yeah. But I, I also don't think it happens as often. And I also think what I think is is very interesting about your career is the telenovela aspect feels like a like a fun fact about you. Not like, oh, that's where she came from. <laughs> like, you know, so it almost feels like a trivia question versus like, oh, this is her 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 essence or yeah. Her essence, yeah. So your first album was titled mediocre correct yeah why because <laughs> i'm a comedian too no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> self-deprecation it runs it runs deep with latinas <laughs> yes it does um well i think uh, I, i i i really like to sort of come up with i don't know um once the album is nearly done i start looking at at, you know, possible um, themes that are like reoccurring. And I think one of the things being my being at my first album that I was really concerned about was not necessarily not making it, but not mm. standing out, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, that it would be just something that would that would just, you know, come out and nobody would talk about it. And, you know, that it, that I wouldn't be successful, that I wouldn't be able to continue with a music career. Um, so, and in general, it was something that I was um, struggling a lot as a teenager or post teenager of being like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be, I don't want to be one of the bunch, you know, I kind of want to, and, and I don't want my feelings to be just, normal you know i want to i want my feelings to be really extreme and i want to have like a very interesting life and i want to you know be recognized by the kind of music that i'm doing and i want to be unique and i think that was that was why i there was a lot of songs that that struck that chord in me and and i and so mediocre also it being the first song in the album and it being i think the first song that i wrote um completely on my own and that came like a flash of lightning you know like a huge like eureka and inspiration moment and i kind of wrote that song like really quickly you know it came through like in 20 minutes or something so it was like a really like a really special song to me as well So I think, you know, all those things just made it like the right title for me. <laughs> you compare your first album title and then your last album title, Donde Bailarán Las Niñas. And tell me a little bit about why you chose that title. Mm, well, Donde Bailarán Las Niñas, um, it's kind of a play also in like an important title in Mexican music um yeah, like pop music history. Mm. There was an album by Maná called Donde Jugarán Los Niños, uh, which was a really famous album. And I listened to that album nonstop when I was growing up. Then Molotov, uh, the band, they came out with yeah. kind of like a like satirical play on that title. And they named one of their albums Donde Jugarán Las Niñas, 
Oh my God. <laughs> and Donde Jugaran Las Niñas was very like transgressive for that time, but it was also very sexist. Oh, really? <laughs> well, just because, you know, the, the album cover was, you know, a um, like a schoolgirl. You couldn't see her face. It was just like the like her skirt and her panties. Oh, cool. A faceless, pantied schoolgirl. I, w I wonder where the sexism lies. And <laughs> uh, where can it be? We must search for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I not to say I know the Molotov guys and they're really sweet guys, but you have to kind of understand the context of mm -hmm. that album. You know, that album was very... Um, it was it came out at a time where you couldn't really say a lot of things um where you know there were there wasn't really a use of bad words like in music or anything that there was a lot of like fear of of speaking up against the government of speaking up against mm -hmm. um the status quo um so that album you know was very important for for mexican music because it it you know, they they spoke out against the police, against the government, against, you know, and, and they use um, swear words and that kind of thing. And that was like, oh, my God, like I remember they they um, in schools, you know, schools would would tell, you know, the kids parents like you shouldn't you shouldn't put let your kids listen to Molotov, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, they will become the devil. Yeah. Of course, and and we yeah. loved that album. You know, that album is such a huge part of 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 my uh tween years or whatever uh, but of course you know the the <laughs> the name and the cover of the album is something <laughs> that you know now it's it's just takes on a different context so when i did donde bailaran las niñas um it was kind of like my girly play on this title and for me it was a little bit of um like a reflection of where are these places where girls uh, growing up can simply be free and be themselves and dream of, you know, of a world where being a girl or being a woman is not uh, something that's going to limit you, mm -hmm. but something that, you know, that you can dream of being whatever you want. Um, and, mm -hmm. and that's obviously something that I want for for my girl and and I want for every girl in Latin America and in the world to be able to have, you know, the same opportunities as as men. And it was kind of that, you know, it was like a very feminine album. Mm -hmm. And I think it really um it really was the first step of me getting very involved in in kind of that that world and that in that topic and that mm -hmm. cause. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. <laughs> Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart Pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes, fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to <laughs> sneeze at. <laughs> I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. 
Well, you know, the world of music, the world of comedy, they're still, you know, male-dominated worlds. And yeah. I remember at the beginning of, of my career, um, I was really, really, really afraid of my femininity because I was afraid that people would perceive me immediately as not funny or not, you know, strong or yeah. not witty, not sarcastic. So, you know, for a lot of the beginning of my career, if, if you look at my videos from, from my first few years, I specifically would like dress very masculine. I would, I would try and limit my softness. Um, and, yeah. and when I look back, I like cringe a little bit because throughout the years it's it's like an internal struggle of like i i am i am proud of being a woman i really am it's influenced so much of me i also kind of resent it at times and i struggle with it simultaneously so it's this thing where it's like i'm i i i'm proud of it i i'm happy i am it um i'm also you know torn about it which i don't think men really think yeah. about their gender never <laughs> I, I think about being a woman all the time it's like oh my god if i were a man would this yeah. be different and i from from what you're talking about and 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 your art and your music it seems like you've been through a transformation of let me embrace the side of me yeah and not be afraid of it no 100 percent. i think it's um it's definitely something that we all struggle because like you say i think um femininity or or our feminine side at least in in music um it was also kind of something that that you wanted to hide so as not to be perceived as a certain type of artist you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um because it seemed like women that used their feminine side um for music were mostly in like the plastic pop um you know, world. And, and I really wanted my music to be perceived as, as not that. Um, but one of the things that I love about, um, the music industry now, especially in, in Latin America, um, is just, you know, you can have like really, really sexual women exploiting that part of themselves, you know, like they like embracing it and being like, you know, fuck everyone, this is who I am, <laughs> and still be in control of their careers and in control of their art and have like a very alternative approach um, to to music. Um, doesn't really matter what genre they do. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I love that about, um, about how far we've come and about um, just how the representation in every um aspect of 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 the music industry um nowadays yeah i've I've seen the cultural shift and and how empowerment is at the core of it and whatever whatever women decide to do whether it be singing wop or you know singing about heartbreak or whatever it doesn't matter it's it's up to them it doesn't feel like it's um it's pushed upon them by the industry it it I feel like when it's authentic, it feels like empowered. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you, because I feel like every artist has their creative machinations, like the way that they sit down and force themselves to be creative. Creativity, I feel, is such a fickle thing. It's really difficult to grasp. How do yeah. you go about writing and making your songs? Like, do you have a trick? Do you listen to music? Like, what what do you do to be inspired? Because I might need to steal some of these <laughs> tips because you've done a lot in your career 
Well, I definitely think that we uh, artists are like sponges. Um, mm-hmm. The more you see, the more you hear, the more you um, travel, the more you read, uh, the more you talk to pe- people, um, and the more experience that you have in general, like in every aspect of life, the more uh, things you're going to connect together. And and I think that's what makes us creative or that's what makes us original mm-hmm. um, because all the information is out there, but it's how we connect the dots between certain things or, you know, or certain metaphors or you and your, in your comedy, you know, how you, a thing happens and, you know, it, it can just, you know, go by unnoticed, but just the way that you perceive it and the way you connect the dots in order to make a joke about it. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that, that's what makes it unique and that's what makes your art unique. Um, and then of course, you know, when it comes to actually like sitting down and writing, I'm just, a huge procrastinator. So <laughs> I need to make myself like, like, I I know, I know myself. And I also know ways to go around myself. So I know that um, I'm really good at, at blocking out time and maybe going somewhere like traveling away from home. And just for two weeks or for a month, just write. Um, mm. And it, it usually has to has to come with with um, doing a couple of writing sessions as well because you know then I I kind of force myself to really have something to show because you know you're gonna be working with someone else so you gotta make it work right <laughs> um, yeah so yeah I mean I I, I know myself <laughs> enough to kind <laughs> of trick myself into doing what I need to do you know I trick myself all the time I'll be like you know what collaborate with someone so that you have to be held accountable <laughs> like it's not just exactly. up to you or like you exactly. know put a date on I'll I'll be like oh, this script will definitely be ready by Tuesday yeah for sure and I'm like I haven't even started but I'm like the intense pressure I feel will force me to actually be productive yes that works <laughs> it, it does it really does being a fr- your fight or flight re- reflect like like you feeling like complete and utter anxiety really does make for creative content. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. And for you, what is a, um, I know this feels kind of like a song they would ask you on one of those two minute interviews on a radio, but what has been, and you don't have to pick one, but out of your songs, yeah, which one would you say, because I think favorite and most proud of is probably different, but which one do you think you feel most proud of? And why? Mm, well, usually there's like, I really like songs that you imagine how you want them to sound like, or you have like a, like an intention from the very get-go of what kind of song you want it to be. And then mm. when you achieve it and you hear the end of it, you're and you hear it at its, you know, at its end, and you're like, okay, yeah, this is exactly what I was imagining. I think that's very special when you when you achieve that. And in my last album, which is Amor Adolescente, I love the the title track. I love Amor Adolescente just because it's it was that kind of song that I wanted to write. I was like, we need a song that doesn't have a specific because um, a specific structure. Um, I want the song to be named, you know, to have the name of the album. And I have this poem that I wrote and I kind of want 
just really wanted to fit the poem right into the music and not really think about melody that much or think about if it rhymes or if it, um, you know, if, or if it's catchy, like it doesn't matter. You know, I just wanted to sort of, sort of want to musicalize this poem and see, see where it takes us. Um, and I really, I'm really proud of, of that, of that song, but I think every album and every, um, period of your life or every, every album has kind of like that, that song or that moment that, you know, you're most proud of something. And then it just goes, it starts changing. I'm, I also really like the fact that songs that you wrote like five or 10 years ago, um, sometimes when you play them again or when you hear them again, you understand certain things that you were trying to do um, that you weren't, re they weren't really clear. That was just like an intuition that you were following. And then suddenly, you know, five years later, you hear it and it's like, oh my God, I totally understand like what I was trying to say. Like it makes even more sense now. It's kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my God, I'm kind of an oracle of myself, like, what the hell? <laughs> well, uh, we started out this interview talking about how your songs, when you're making them, are yours. And then you put them out there in the ether, and they're not, it's not, not no longer yours, it's everyone else's interpretation. And I think it's funny that your past and present self, <laughs> like your present self has taken up your past self songs and has made it, yeah. like, has reinterpreted <laughs> <laughs> like time hopping, dimension hopping. 100%. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have songs that I wrote when I was 15 years old. It's like, what did I know when I was 15? Like <laughs> nothing. You know, I still, I don't know. I still had Barbie dolls probably when I was 15. Like I wasn't <laughs> like, I wasn't even close to being like a, like a developed adult <laughs> or teenager even at 15. And I was writing about things that, Sometimes I hear them now and I'm like, wow, wow. I had a good idea about what this was going to be about, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting to me. I've always wanted to ask musicians this because um, I remember younger buying an album and because mm -hmm. that's what you would buy, you'd buy a CD and just listen to it from beginning to end and it sort of told a story. Mm -hmm. And I think albums... Yeah to this day still tell a story they're albums but with the with how we consume music now which is like the single mm -hmm. and this song is hitting and even tiktok that's like cutting up songs into 15 second pieces and yeah viralizándose in that way mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about how you feel about it and if you think this is something that you have to adapt to or or it's just it's just like a fad i think i, I totally be believe in adaptation i think it just didn't happen as quickly as it's happening now. That's the crazy thing, I think. Oh, interesting. Nowadays, you talk about 10 years ago, and it has nothing to do with the way people listen to music or like which platforms are popular now with what was popular, you know, with social media, what was popular 10 years ago. And it's just insane, the velocity that everything is taken. It's just so, it moves so fast and so quick. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. But I always think, I've always felt that format, well, like uh, technological advances and formats have always influenced the way um, we musicians write. Like, because the album is kind of like the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it was the amount of music that fit into the two sides of, you know, of a vinyl. Um, and then mm -hmm. it was, you know, the amount of songs that you're able to fit into a CD. And, and I remember that, that, at one point in my career when I when CDs um, were the thing, uh, <laughs> I think I remember record labels just couldn't fathom the idea of you wanting to put more music after releasing an album. It's like you forcefully had to wait at least a couple of years if you wanted to release more music because record labels were like you're going to distract your audience like you have to give the album time to for people to buy it and listen to it and and i always felt that was kind of limiting because i wanted to do so many things and like write so many new music and then i had friends that were you know co continuously recording and writing and 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 you know and feeling like damn it, I have all this music and I'm not able to put it out. Um, and now, you know, it seems like people can't have enough of new music. It's like once you put out an album, um, a month later, everyone's like, okay, so when's the next single? And you're like, wait, just give me a, give me a second. <laughs> Can I, give me one moment, please? Yeah, so, so I think that it all depends on how you where you're at and how you're feeling. Um, I think it's very, it can be very liberating. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, and I love that about now nowadays, you know, cause, cause 10 years ago, people were like, you can't be collaborating with all those people. Mm. And now it's like, you know, I can collaborate with whoever I want to. Um, and, you know, people are just happy that there's new music on the way. You know, I recently learned about the art of sampling. And just to, to go to your point of how art transforms and, and sort of evolves in, in its time and how sampling is, you know, the art of taking existing music and evolving it, transforming it, changing it to then be a new song, to, to have a, a different, you know, a different life. Yeah. Kanye was like, you know, the, the king of this. And it, 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 I see it a lot now in just all content. It's like, mm -hmm. it's it's what we've been talking about this whole conversation, like uh, songs existing even on social platforms, obtaining like a completely different meaning. Yeah. And I think it's powerful. It's also like intense. It's what you're saying. Like the past few years, it, it feels like we're in a revolution of, of how art is consumed, but also how art is repurposed. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And it's also like a little scary because I don't know, now I feel old, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh my God, it, like, holy moly, like this, this one <laughs> chorus in this song is now about like revealing your 
teenage dirtbag self with like old pictures. Like now it's, you know, um, but I'm interested to see where the, where the music, you know, world moves to and, and, and how you continue to, to create work for it. I think you have to find a balance as a, as an artist or as a creator. I mean, it's, it's good to have your ears open and your, um, and be aware of what's going on and, you know, and, yeah, sure. I mean, being TikTok and and listen to songs because they're huge on TikTok, um, and and you know, and 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 if you want to create something from that mindset, I think you know, I think that's, that's totally fine. Um, but also, mm-hmm. if you feel overwhelmed by it and you feel like, you know, what I can't be bothered with creating something right now because everything just seems like it's going and moving way too fast i think that's okay yes, too uh, um and i, I really think uh, that's okay yeah. and i think that that one of the big um lessons that i th- think we're learning as a society is you know to kind of respect everyone and everybody's processes and you know um be more aware of people's um, mental health and more aware of like, you know, how, how you feel about certain things and, and, you know, that, that, um, it's not, it's not okay to expect everyone to be moving at the same rhythm and space. Um, and yeah, and I think that, I think that's, that's, that's definitely a positive thing that's happening um with society and speaking about society look at this uh flawless transition into my next question um i watched the music video for your song diva which i absolutely loved um (laughs) it seemed like you had a very specific point of view you were very tongue-in-cheek and you were very uh Punta, uh, what your point was? Can you can you describe to me what went through your head and why you wanted to make this song and this music video specifically? Well, um, my first album is very um, kind of I use a lot of metaphor. Um, you you're not really sure like who I'm talking about or what I'm talking about, um, and I I think I kind of wanted it that way. Um, but as I grow older and I'm more comfortable with who I am, um, more honest uh, about, you know, my background or my story or whatever, um, I'm really liking exploring with being uh, a lot more, uh, I guess, graphic in my songs and just, you know, <laughs> for people to kind of understand exactly what it is that I mean or what it is that I'm coming from and even you know, being very, um, very, very autobiographical. And um, Diva is very, I guess it's my most autobiographical song because Mm -hmm. it talks about um, what other people, um, other peers, or then, you know, moving to a bigger circle, like what the press has said about me, what trolls have said about me uh, in social media. Um, and and I kind of just used all that and and turned it into a song. Um, so I kind of make a little fun about myself and a little fun as to what other people have called me or what have said about me and my music and um, me as an actress. And, uh, and it was just really to have fun and and we we had a lot of fun writing it um and i invited tessa because tessa yeah um she's a 
really talented uh, singer songwriter. I love her her music. She's um, like she's ten years younger than me, so she's from another generation. But uh, but I think our experiences are very similar because she's also a child actress. She has a really prolific mm-hmm. acting career. You know, she's she's everywhere. She's doing a lot of a lot of stuff as an actress. Um, and still, like even ten years. <laughs> with that like age difference they still question like her motives or they question you know if she's um you know if she's able to uh, be a singer and an actress um she also gets compared like to me and to other alternative um mexican singers and she's like hey what what the hell you know like why would anyone do that it's like we're so different mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i think she was she was perfect for for co-writing this song with. It was great. It was great. And you know, the word diva is so interesting because it's both a powerful word and then a word with a lot of negative connotation. Like yeah. Madonna's a diva, but then it's like, oh, she was acting like such a diva. And I think that duality is something that I find that you're like, you repurpose as like, like a like the strength of the word diva um, while singing about being like about divaness, which, you know, what's crazy. So I I don't know if you know this fun fact, the word, and excuse my language, but the word bitch, Mm -hmm. if you look at its usage throughout history, um, the the peaks of of the point of usage are are usually around the times where women were trying to obtain more rights. So around yeah. the you know uh, women's suffrage, uh, the sexual revolution, um, recently with Me Too, and mm-hmm. you know these words that are meant to destroy women also are, have a point of power to them. Like hey, w-, like I use the word bitch, like badass bitch. Yeah. And how we repur- you know, we repurpose these words and give them the power they deserve versus the negative connotation that society tends to put on them. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I totally think that was kind of like the the idea behind Diva because you know my peers when we were in high school, that's what they would call me in you know with a negative connotation because mm-hmm. I was you know constantly away from school. Um, acting or whatever um and i couldn't be bothered with with school subjects because i I already knew that i wanted to be an actress and you know be a musician so uh, my peers would always you know make fun of me um calling me a diva like oh she didn't do her homework because she's such a diva or you know she's not coming to school because she's a diva or whatever um and yeah i mean and and then it then it's like well if that means that I am able to do what I do, and if that means that, you know, I'm not one of the bunch, oh, I guess that then that's a good thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, I got to say, I'm going to start calling myself a diva, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know what? Jenny, my co-host, is a diva because she couldn't make it because she's on set. <laughs> so Jenny's a diva. <laughs> Great diva. Uh, Jimena, I really, really appreciate this conversation. I've learned so much. I really wish you all the luck in the world. I, I can't wait to see all the amazing things you do and that you act in, that you create, that you perform. And I hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was a lot of fun. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. Zero-dollar copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply.